Well, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Uh, I know I did. It was fun. Uh, it's been good to hang out uh, with family and whatnot. Um, but today, we're going we're gonna to zero in. We're actually wrapping up uh, the sermon series that we've been walking through over the last few months. Um, we've been following the narrative of the Bible uh, as we see God's redemptive plan, um, as he's, he's worked, uh, at, worked it out through his chosen people of Israel, through Jesus Christ, the church, and, and even in our lives. Um, we've actually been looking at this, uh, I forgot to ask which way this goes. There we go, I did it. Um, we've been looking at this David Arms picture um, each week, pretty much, where we've kind of gone through these panels uh, and we've, we've gone through the first three, um, mostly, of life, loss, and love. Uh, we looked at creation. Um, we've looked at the fall due to our rebellion and sin. And yet God's mission was to bring salvation and to restore his creation. And it all led to and continues to be carried out in Christ's death and resurrection, which is represented in this third panel. Um, Christ's death and resurrection is where the restoration is you know, ignited. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, I studied television, radio, and film. I love stories. Um, I love movies. I love TV. Um, and I know that when a series is done well, um, it can build up anticipation. And when you get to the final episode or the final scene of a movie and it's done well, it's such a cool, satisfying thing. When it's not done well, it's a huge disappointment. Um, I love, I, I actually really enjoyed the show The Mentalist. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It actually took my wife several years to kind of get through it because we were just kind of off and on with it. Uh, but it's this story, it's about this guy, Patrick Jane, who can see things that other people, like he sees details that other people miss. And, and it's him working with the California Bureau of Investigation each week to solve crimes. But meanwhile, he's trying to solve his own mystery, which was his wife and daughter were killed by this guy named Red John. And we don't know who he is. And, and all we know about Red John is he's just as brilliant as Patrick, and he's always a few steps ahead. Well, in the second to last season, like, I think even halfway through the season, they actually resolved the whole thing. Like, they showed us who Red John was, and then they resolved the whole situation. And to be honest, I was really disappointed, first of all, with who Red John was. Um, and then I was really disappointed with how they ended it. And then they went on for a whole other season that was completely pointless. It kind of ruined the whole series. Um, well, let me assure you that this week I have the pleasure of addressing this last panel and talking to the last part of the story we've been going through um, where life is restored. And we get a peek at the full picture of what Christ's work on the cross has accomplished. And let me assure you that this finale is far from disappointing. It's literally the fulfillment of all we've ever hoped for, and it's more satisfying than anything we could expect. We call this consummation, and, and what that means is, you know, consummation is the point at which something is completed or finalized. And in this case, it is the completion of God's redemptive plan. And to be honest, as I prepared for this, I realized how little I've actually been taught or have taken the time to reflect on what the Bible says eternity will look like. And, and the reality is, it's actually quite the blessing that God has revealed to us where all of this is heading. Um, it, encourages, it encourages us in our faith in that we know where our hope lies. Knowing the full story helps us fully engage in the gospel. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again, giving us new life, Lord. And Lord, thank you for your word. 
Um, thank you for this sermon series. And, and I just pray right now, Lord, as we look at this final, this final chapter, um, we would be blessed and encouraged. Thank you, God, that you have revealed to us your plan and you allow us to participate in your work. I just pray that you would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, Anthony mentioned that instead of getting caught up in all of the discussions and the timing of events in Revelation, uh, we can really zero in on, on this thing called rule. Um, these are the things that you know, we can see in the Bible that are, are taught clearly, um, which are the return of Christ, uh, up, the dead will rise, last judgment, and eternal destiny. Um, and I'll tell you, in the last kind of few chapters of Revelation, roughly from like 18 on, we kind of see all this happening. Um, you get a picture of, of Jesus riding in on a white horse where he defeats the beast and he uh, purges the creation of all sin. Um, we see that the dead rise. There is a resurrection of the dead. And then there is a judgment where those who, uh, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life get to enter into eternal fellowship with God. Um, and that brings us then to, to what I'm going to focus on today is this E, the eternal destiny. Um, and we're going to be looking at Revelation 21 through 22. Um, and these chapters present a picture of the completion of God's redemption and restoration of his creation. And today we're going to focus in on three points. If you have the, the outline, they're right there in front of you. Um, we're going to look at what does John see, uh, what is missing or what is central, and then what does it have to do with us today. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Um, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for those words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, this second part, kind of last half of it, um, Anthony talked a bit about last week. I'm going to kind of zero in on this first part, uh, especially what we read earlier. Um, and I want to look at, well, what, is, what does John see? Uh, well, right off the bat, uh, we have a new heaven and a new earth, he talks about. And, and it's cool that at the end of the, the book, the end of the Bible, uh, we kind of hearken back to the beginning. Um, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, here in Revelation, we're presented with a new earth that has been cleansed from the effects of the fall. Um, it's been made clean and restored. It's been purged of all impurity. And this isn't a new concept in our biblical narrative. Um, Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And then in Second Peter uh, 3, 13, But according to his promise, 
We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, with this, I think it's important to point something out that uh, we don't often think about or even realize due to how culture portrays it and even sometimes how the church talks about it. Um, the Bible teaches that our eternal destiny is not in heaven. Um, yes, uh, to die is to be present with Christ in heaven, but this isn't the end. Um, as we see here, there's a resurrection of the dead into our bodies, and those who, who are his will dwell with God in this, this new earth. Um, also, notice that we'll, that we'll have physical bodies. Um, we're not going to be some detached souls kind of flying around for eternity. Um, we will continue in his creation, but as we see, it'll be a much different experience. So in the beginning of the chapter in Revelation, John kind of jumps around in the first few verses with his imagery. Um, he talks about a new earth that he sees, and then he jumps to a new Jerusalem, then he jumps to a bride adorned for her husband. And this changing imagery is actually very common in apocalyptic uh, literature. Um, it's not meant to present new ideas, but to continue fleshing out the current one. Um, John is basically giving us a picture of what the new reality will be, and that's a life uh, where heaven and earth, God and man, are perfectly and forever united. Um, in verses 9 through 21, we're treated to some detailed imagery of, of what this all looks like. Um, and I'm not going to read through all of it, but basically he's taken, John has taken to, to see more of this, and we see the holy city Jerusalem, um, and it's radiance like, like a most rare jewel, you know, like jasper, clear as crystal. And then he kind of goes into this whole thing where he starts to describe, you know, these different things. We've got these three gates, you know, the south, the three gates. There's 12, it's uh, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed on these gates. Then he goes on to tell us that there are these foundations where the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lambs um, are inscribed. And so we have all these pictures, you know, that uh, the city lies four square in its length, the same as its width, and he's measured with the city as rod. Um, 12,000 stadia is the length. Uh, its length and width are equal. It's 144 cubits in measurement, which is also an angel's measure. So we get all these numbers and all this stuff that is uh, sometimes can be confusing, and I don't know about you, but when I read it, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, so I'm going to keep moving on. Um, you know, I, I, I want to point out that basically, you know, the whole 12, there's like the big thing of 12 here. Um, the 12 is kind of, a, it's an important number. Uh, we see that for one, for the gates, it's the 12 tribes of Israel. For the foundations, it represents the 12 apostles. Basically what's going on here, um, it's the people of the old and the new covenant are united together in this new city. Um, that is what, what, what we are seeing. Um, and it's even shown in, in this, you know, 144, 12 times 12 is 144. Um, also, we saw that the dimensions of this city make it a perfect cube. Um, the last time we see dimensions like this in the Bible, though on a smaller scale, is for the most holy place, which was in the tabernacle or the temple. This was the place where God's presence was and where priests would go to intercede on behalf of the people. It was separated from everywhere else. But here, the whole city is the most holy place where God and all his people will be united. So while there, there are a lot of places we could probably explore with all of this um, and get into some of these details, that's probably much better suited for a uh, Bible study. Um, I know Serge just put out some new Revelation stuff. You can check that out. Um, but what I wanted to do for the purposes of this sermon is I want to I share something that really struck me about this new... Um, earth or a new jerusalem um 
uh, it's the, uh, so I've, I've actually been, I've been going to counseling for like the last eight years off and on. Uh, it's just one of those things that's been super helpful to me. Um, I've recently started going again uh, once a month. Uh, I kind of figured that with this new job and doing ministry, it would be really helpful for me to have someone that I could just talk to once a month and process my thoughts. Um, recently, uh, my last my last visit or tele whatever it is that we're doing now, uh, I, I said to my wife, I really don't have much to talk to her about, which I guess is good. Uh, but we, you know, I went and met with her, and I said to her, I was like, you know, there is something that's been kind of interesting. Uh, my, where my mind has been going, it's not really. I, I don't see it really affecting me either negatively or positively, and I'll throw it out there. Maybe you can help me understand how to process this better. I said, I don't know if it's if it's the season that I'm in or the stage of life, uh, but I find myself thinking more and more about my parents. Now, my dad died when I was three, um, and my mother died about four years ago. And I said, you know, now I find myself with, with where my kids are at their ages, um, it's, it's a pretty cool time. Like, uh, we get to go outside and play football and play sports, and, and we're watching sports together and talking about it. And, and we're also really into The Mandalorian. Like, we've been watching The Mandalorian together, and, and as we're watching it, I've been thinking, like, wow, I know my mom was a huge Star Wars fan. And then, I, what, from what I've been told, uh, my dad was a huge Star Wars fan. And so I keep thinking to myself, like, wouldn't it be great um, to be able to talk to them about it? They would have loved this. Um, and, and also, they probably would have loved talking to their grandchildren about The Mandalorian. Now, some of you out there may be a little concerned that I'm going to give away the last episode of The Mandalorian. I won't. No spoilers. Yet, you're probably on phase that I'm giving you spoilers of the end of the Bible, but that's okay. Um, so, but I said to my counselor, I said, how do I think about this? And she stopped and she said, you know, you're experiencing a kind of redemption. And I said, what? And she said, well... You suffered loss as a child. There was something that was missing. There was something that was lost as you grew up. And now you have been given something that was lost as an adult. You've been giving those experiences. And while I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm getting a taste. I'm getting a taste of something that was lost in my life. And yet it is just a taste and a flawed taste at that. Because it, it is a reminder of, of what was lost, and, and even it's a reminder of my own frailty. Um, what John talks of here, though, is something that my soul longs for. In verse 4, um, we'll go back to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what we're promised, and yet it's really hard to imagine. Um, and when I read this verse, honestly, it, it feels like it's pulling at my soul um, every time I read it. And, and I think it's because D.A. You know, Carson, he points out that what John is seeing here is a transformation of existence. And that is what my soul longs for. When I read these things, you know, the, it's cool. There's like all these different dimensions and whatnot. But when I see this, I'm like, this is, this is something that seems to be missing um, in my life. And so as we sit here today in the midst of a pandemic, and we've seen and experienced so much pain and loss, it's hard to fathom this kind of healing. We can be excited and hopeful with the vaccine on the way, and I pray that it's effective, but really the vaccine is still just a band-aid to the effects of the fall. Ultimately, it is, it is what we see here that our soul longs for. Vern Poitras says, um, the new creation as a whole 
answers all our needs, and produces a consummate remedy for all the ills that belong to the old. And so we see all these things that are missing, you know, uh, no more tears, no more death. And that brings us to our next point. What else is missing from creation? Um, 21 to 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John points out that in this new Jerusalem there's no temple. The temple's where people went to worship and seek God. And as I mentioned earlier, God will be dwelling directly with his people. Um, in verse 22, we saw that Jesus, God himself and Jesus the Lamb are the temple. The city itself will be where all worship takes place because God will be present with us there. John also points out that there will be no need of sun or moon for light because the glory of God will guide and illuminate us. You know, back then, darkness was associated with danger. Um, at night, cities and people were vulnerable to attack because you, could, you couldn't see what was coming. Um, there will be no fear of attack here in this new, new uh, heaven and new earth. This, I think this is, this is uh, less of a commentary on whether or not the sun or moon will exist, but it's more of a statement on the fact that God will be our light and we will not live in any fear of danger that comes from the darkness. And not only will he illuminate everything, but this city will have nothing unclean, and there will be nothing done that is detestable or false. Now, that's kind of hard to fathom, too. Think of, think of all the times you've lied or been lied to. Um, think, of, think of all the injustices in the world and in society, and imagine what it would be like if none of that existed. It's, it's impossible to do that because that's all we know. Uh, my daughter, Ellen, is, is five, and she started kindergarten this year in the middle of a pandemic. And so for her, up until a few weeks ago, school has been getting on a computer with a bunch of little boxes of her friends, and God bless her kindergarten teacher, because I don't know how she does it, um, but she has been just going on and learning that way and then doing slides, sometimes on her own and, and whatnot. And even a few weeks ago, she got to go back to school, but even that is super weird. Like, she only goes two times a week. She has to wear her mask. There's like five kids in her class. The desks are spaced way far apart. They have to do gym next to their desk. I don't even know what that means. Um, it's super weird. And as we talk about it, we're all sitting here probably thinking, like, no, Ellen, that's not how school is. It's, it's actually better than that. Um, but that's all she knows. To her, that is school. Um, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, quotes German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, and, and he points out that when Jesus performed miracles on earth, he wasn't causing an interruption in the natural order, but he was bringing restoration to the natural order. Uh, Dane says, We are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. So, with all these things that, that aren't there, um, John then takes us and shows us in his vision where, where what is central. Um, Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God 
and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, God is at the center of everything. His throne, which is also the throne of the Lamb, which we see earlier in Revelation when John is describing what he sees in the throne room of God. Um, and from the throne flows the river of life. And so life is coming from the throne. Um, we also get this picture of trees. Once again, we have 12. You know, 12 trees and the fruit will produce 12 months. Um, it's, it's God's people uh, are there, and they're being, um, they're being fed by, by the river of life from God. Um, and then even the leaves will bring healing to the nations. Everything that has caused war and division is gone. All nations are united under his reign. In the end, God will be the center of all things. And, and D.A. Carson says, um, The centrality of God in this consummation of the new heaven and new earth means that for the first time, Without any exceptions or caveats or failures, we will know by experience what it means to obey what Jesus calls the most important commandment, to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And we will be so transformed in this beatific vision that we will know by experience what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does this have to do with us today? Well, going back to Vern Poitras, he says, Revelation is designed not only to assure us of God's final purposes, but also to increase our longing for him and the realization of his purpose. An understanding of God's purposes and promises affirm and build our hope. Now, now hope is an interesting word. Um, most of the time when we use it, we're talking about a wish or a desire, but, but that's not what it means when we talk about the biblical concept of hope. And there's two definitions in Merriam-Webster's dictionary that I think kind of hit those definitions that we're talking about. Uh, one is a desire accompanied by expectation of, of or belief in fulfillment. And then the other one is an expectation with confidence. If we confess Jesus as Lord, then we should have this hope from the promise of Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in us will bring to it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is working all things in us and in his creation. And we know what the completion looks like, thanks to Revelation. Yet we find ourselves at odds with each other over things like politics, the virus, or whatever else causes divisions, as if somehow these things will affect God's overall plan. A lot of times we allow our circumstances to fill us with anxiety or sometimes pride. And please know that this is more for me than any of you. You can ask my wife. Um, So why, as believers, do we struggle with this? Well, it's because we're still in a state of being transformed and must continually be in repentance and seeking more of the Holy Spirit in our struggle with sin. But a specific thing we can point to is a lack of or a misplaced trust. When I was in 10th grade, I had this English teacher, Mr. Meichler, um, and he would often, he would have us, uh, you know, we were reading Great Expectations. And so he'd have us read a few chapters, and then he would give us these oral quizzes. And so he'd ask a question, we'd have to answer. The first three questions were always super hard. But then you'd have the last five were bonus questions, and they were super easy. And you could get whatever points from the bonus questions, and they were worth more. Um, or if you got them wrong, you lost points. But the questions would be like, what is Bill Wemmick's first name? Well, it's, it's Bill. Um, that's literally what the bonus questions were. 
Then he would have us hand it to the person behind us, they'd grade it, and then we'd go around the room and say our score. And every single time, there was this kid, Randy, in my class. It would get to Randy, and he'd be like, negative 30, (laughs) negative 20. And at one point, Mr. Meichler finally said to him, Randy, why do you keep failing these quizzes? I'm giving you the answers. And he said, it seems too good to be true, and I don't trust you. Okay. Now, I would say, this is, we laugh at this, but I think this is how often we are uh, when we think about God's promises. Um, I would say that we are in a time in history where many people don't trust God. You know, people have many reasons for why they don't trust him. Circumstances that have hurt or maybe not gone the way they wanted. Maybe they've been burned by the church or someone who misuses scripture or even does awful things in the name of Christ. I, I get that. But as believers, we need to focus on the gospel not only on what Christ's work on the cross has done for us individually, but also what it means for the future of all things. And that should affect how we respond to each other and to our circumstances. Now, some of us really struggle, myself included, with trusting that God is who he is and that he will do what he promises. Jesus um, addresses another problem in, in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling us that if everything we put our value in, or if our identity is wrapped up in the things of this life, and that's it, then this is where our hearts will be. Carson says, um, if all your treasures, oh, that's the wrong one, if all your treasures belong to this life, then belief that a new heaven and a new earth are coming will not shape you in any powerful way. Too often we put our treasures um, in things uh, that are not of God. If we're putting them in anything other than the promises of God, we are on shaky ground. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't engage in our current life. Since the earth is ultimately our home and God chooses to use us in the work of his kingdom and, and his restoration, We are called to love and care for his people and his creation. We should be seeking justice and looking to care for others. What this does mean, though, is that if he is bringing a new heaven and a new earth in which he is the center, then we don't have to respond to each other out of having to be right, because ultimately he doesn't need us to be right. We don't have to respond out of fear because the things we fear are being wiped away. We don't need to put all of our trust and hope in anything other than Jesus Christ. And this also doesn't mean that we're supposed to act like everything's okay when when pain and suffering and death come, because it isn't okay. We We can cry out to God. We can mourn. We can hurt. Things aren't how they're supposed to be. But what it does mean is that we recognize that our sorrow, our suffering, and even death does not have the final say. And at the end of Revelation, it puts the focus all back where it belongs, and that's on on Jesus. Revelation 22, 12 through 15, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus assures us that he is coming. His work on the cross and resurrection from the grave has assured us that what is going to happen. 
He took the punishment for our sin, and he offers us the opportunity to partake in his new creation. So as we walk through these days longing for the completion of what has been started, in verse 17, um, we are the bride. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. As we live out our callings and love our neighbors, we say, come, Lord Jesus. As we walk through the difficulties and trials of life, we don't live in defeat, but we say, come, Lord Jesus. I'm not saying that faith in Jesus means no pain or loss. You know, in this life, we will have struggles, but we can be assured that Jesus will comfort us and that he promises our current struggles will not last. If you are hearing this today and you're struggling, please be encouraged. Jesus knows your struggle and he is coming. If you're hearing this today and and don't know Jesus, well, the call is for you to come to him too. See, verse 17 says, um, let the one who is thirsty come. We're in a pandemic There's injustice everywhere. Um, It's not hard to see that things aren't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. And you may even be recognizing your own shortcomings and contribution to problems. You want to have hope. You want to know that things can be fixed. Well, Jesus Christ promises forgiveness and restoration, and he wants you to come to him as he's come to you. If this is you, and you have questions about this, please come talk to me after or drop me an email. I would love to have a conversation with you about the saving power of Jesus Christ. If it's you and you're like, I'm in, what do I do? You can go to Jesus right now and just pray that he would forgive you and bring his restoration for for your life. And so church, as we head out this week, remember our hope, our faith is in this new creation and what Jesus is doing in our lives and in this world. Let us not put our faith or hope in anything other. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your promises. Lord, I thank you that this is not some distant story, Lord, but this is an action that you took. Um, Lord, you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. You rose again. You give us new life, Lord Jesus. You allow us to, to be with you, Lord. You fill us with your spirit. And Lord, while we, we long for this consummation, Lord, of, of your redemptive plan, we still experience and taste the goodness Um, that comes from you. And so, Lord, help us to trust in you, put our hope in you. And then out of our our, uh, hope and trust in you, I pray that we would share that with other people. Help us to love our neighbors, Lord Jesus. Help us to work for justice. Um, Lord, just be glorified in all we do, and let us never take our eyes off of, of who you are and your promises. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.